Welcome to the DevReady podcast, where we're helping non-techs build better tech. Today, we're talking about one of the biggest topics that um, every business needs to be on top of. It's all about sales today. Uh, and we're fortunate enough to have Rashid Cotwell, who's joining us. Rashid is a sales coach and mentor, helps sales teams predominantly um, be more proficient, more profitable in their um, actions as a sales team. So, Rashid, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you, Andrew and Anthony. Welcome. Great to be here. First and foremost, Rashid, um, tell us a little bit about your background, your history, and why we you've come to us today and talking about sales predominantly. All right. So, uh, effectively, I'm a sales coach and business strategist who you could think of me as a guide who helps you navigate an organization's buying process. Uh, my history is I spent... Uh, uh, 20 years in IT working for the likes of NCR, DEC, uh, Unisys, Concurrent, all of those sorts of people, starting in very technical roles and then moving into sales and then senior management. And then when the dot-com era came along, um, uh, the organization I was with uh, tried to get a whole bunch of venture capital and uh, uh, eventually failed. And uh, so I shut the door on that chapter of my life. And by that stage, I was either too old, too senior or too general. And uh, uh, nobody in the IT world wanted to hire me uh, at the salary that I was uh, used to. So uh, basically, you do what all people like us do. We put up a shingle (laughs) and became consultants, um, which is uh, a rather interesting journey. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to most people starting out. It is a different journey, definitely, because um, all of a sudden you do everything, not just the one thing that you're really good at. Um, yeah, that's that's probably my biggest learning in this space. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, basically over the uh, 20 years, we uh, moved from being, uh, let's just say, general generalists who are business consultants mm-hmm. into specializing more and more into the marketing and sales area, mm-hmm. because uh, as you would well know, nothing happens until somebody buys something. Correct. That's right. In terms of, um, you mentioned there that we have buying process. Um, so in terms of your target clients that you predominantly work with, can you describe a little bit about them? Um, and a buying process is generally considered maybe a little bit of a bigger ticket item uh, where it goes through multiple stakeholders, etc. cetera. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell me about who you might work with. Okay, our ideal clients range from uh, organizations uh, that uh, have five people up to about 50 people. Uh, they may have a sales team or it may be the founder owner who does most of the sales. The people that they target uh, tend to be either either other businesses which are mid-size all the way up to corporate. The issues that they they face are generally long sales cycles, um, uh, being able to target the right people, being able to get the uh, the message out correctly in a way that actually cuts through mm-hmm. to a target market, and uh, you know not going to, into that merry-go-round of yes this will close this will close oh it's going to close at some point but it never does <laughs> uh, all of the sorts of stuff that we used to see constantly when I was in uh, sales in the corporate arena uh, we see in the in the small business arena but in the small business arena you don't have that level of time and you can't hide. You know, in a large organization, salespeople can hide. <laughs> and, uh, you, know, you, can cl- you know, you can talk about, oh, this deal will close at some point, but it doesn't work that way in a small business. Uh, and most of our clients are relatively small businesses. Mm-hmm. That means if you don't sell, you don't eat. Yes. 
I feel that. Um, we're probably in a business where myself and Anthony run most of the sales and upfront stuff and um, get that and it's all driven by one or two people. Um, a lot of businesses are in that sort of frame. So describe um, what are some of the important areas you might want to focus on uh, within sales. You mentioned long buying cycles. Now, how do we dwindle them away potentially to instead of six months, two? <laughs> how does someone do that? Would be probably one of my pivotal questions. Well, it comes down, it always comes down to people buy when they're ready to buy, not when you need to make a sale. And I think the the mistake that most uh, organizations make is that uh, they target they target people who are not necessarily ready to buy something. So if you look at, uh, you know, think of it like an iceberg, you've got a small percentage of people who are up there, say maybe three to five percent who are actively looking for something, they know they've got a problem. And if you target them, you and you can demonstrate that and and explain the problem that they've got to themselves better than they themselves understand it, then they feel that you understand them and they are more likely to want to take action to solve the problem. Whereas if you you don't target people who are ready to make uh, a buying decision, that's when the long sales cycles start. Mm Now, that also also depends, of course, on how many people are involved in the buying decision. So if you've got a lot of buy, people buying in the buying decision, you've got to realize that the, there are multiple agendas at play. And we usually see this when uh, you're, uh, you're making a pitch to the business, but you need some form of IT buy-in or other people have to buy in. And what generally happens is that people don't want to do more work. Mm-hmm. Uh, or they feel that their their jobs are at risk because, hey, you're coming in and you're going to do this thing that I, as the IT department, should have been able to do. And very often the deal will get kiboshed because of that. So what we always inculcate into our clients is that the smaller the organization, the closer the uh, interests, personal interests of the owner of the organization and the company. What's good for you as an owner is good for the company. But the bigger the organization, the greater the disparity. So if, uh, you, you know, it could be in the best interest of the company to go down with this solution, but somebody's status, somebody's job is at risk and they won't actually, they will actually kibosh the deal rather than pushing it through. And we see that a lot. And so part of what we do is to figure out how you figure out who's who in the zoo and what their own personal agendas are and how you could make it to be in their best interest to move the sale forward because that is the thing that kills most deals. So try to help them rather than give them more work. Mm. Yeah. How can I, you know, ultimately we all buy things because, you know, we want more money, more time, some form of status and recognition and some form of lifestyle, okay? In, uh, in a corporate environment, it usually comes down to some form of status, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. You know, is this thing going to be a risk for my job or is this thing going to enhance my career? What's going to happen if it doesn't work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of risk taken by those people that are, especially with new something new. Um, and a lot of people are afraid of the new. <laughs> um, you only get that real, the, the person that's really put, putting their, their job on the line, and they are, um, if they're investing big money into new tech, new new ways of doing things um it is it is a status thing they like to be seen as doing new but um if it doesn't come off then it can be a bit of a risk to them as well yeah Mm. in terms of um 
understanding of each person. So getting a Get an understanding of who's who in the zoo, as you mentioned it. Uh, what's some of the, the tactics that you might put at play to get pretty much every stakeholder at the table? Because sometimes businesses don't open up stakeholders. Someone might be a gatekeeper and they might not open up the the, uh, the tree at the top and they just may sort of pass information through. What's some of the strategies you might put in to just open up some of those um, stakeholders? Look, the, there is no easy answer to this. The, you do need to understand people and what might be motivating them. And it's really helpful if, uh, if, if you're familiar with any of the Miller-Hyman type models where you, you have a coach, which is somebody who, can, who knows the organization or knows some of the players that can say, okay, well, maybe this is going on over there or this could be happening for them. But if you also understand the types of sales that you're involved in and the types of issues that these people normally come up with that block you, mm-hmm. then you can have a frank conversation off to the side. You wouldn't ever bring this up in front of their boss, but you'd say, okay, now how, does, how do I help you look good Mm-hmm. So that this thing is a win-win for everybody. So it's got to be a three-way win. It's got to be a win for that particular individual, what they stand to win or lose. It's got to be a win for the organization. And it's got to be you a win for you, the business that's actually promoting the sale. Uh, and if it's not that three-way win, then that sale will never progress. And sometimes it's a matter of, of just asking the question, hey, look, you know, what would what would get this thing over the line for you personally? How would this help you do something? And that may be get a promotion uh, and the promotion means more money uh, or it saves them some time, it gives them some, you know, takes away some headache. What is in it for them? Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just have to ask. Mm-hmm. I think, um, yeah, some people are just afraid to ask those type of questions. I think, yeah, when you're dealing at a business, you can just look at what does it do for the business. But in fact, we're dealing with people. Um, yeah. Every day we're talking to people and human beings and they've got their own agendas and the reason why they're talking to you is because they're trying to solve an issue or or fill a gap or whatever it might be, add value in a certain way. Um, yeah, so I agree. It's how do we help that person the other end of the line. Sometimes they're a bit cagey though and they don't really want to answer the, <laughs> the questions that you need yeah. them to answer. Yeah, that can Look, too. that's always the case, but that, that always comes down to a level, building up a level of trust, yep. and that comes from building up a, a relationship. Mm-hmm. And when they understand that, hey, listen, you are actually on their side rather than – so this is not a confrontation. This is not a, you know, I win, you lose. This has got to be I'm on your side, and let's see how we can help you and the business that you represent mm-hmm. get a result – and also, the other factor is, depending on how much work there is involved to, in, in actually implementing this thing, people will say, okay, look, there's too much work involved here, and I'm actually happier with the status quo. I know what I've got. So it, this is all about removing barriers. What are the barriers that I need to remove to get the sale? So it's not about winning the deal. It's actually very often removing barriers to the deal. Yeah, what's going to stop it from going through? Mm. Sales is one thing, but first and foremost... How, what are some of the strategies we get into the door? People look at mass marketing, um, cold calling. What are some of the things that we might do to actually get our brand out there, our products out there in front of these businesses before the cold sale, for example? And probably yeah, identifying that there is a clear difference between the two. Okay, mm. so in our world, marketing and sales are two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. And if you think of marketing, marketing is basically a one-to-many operation where you mm. send stuff out into the world. 
And marketing's job is to basically raise awareness and then warm somebody up. So that in an ideal world, they're going to see your marketing material. They're going to go, oh, this is really interesting. Ah, this thing, uh, uh, you know, triggers something in me with there's a problem that I have and I'm going to pick up the phone and I'm going to call you. That's an ideal world. Okay. Now, if the marketing is done correctly and a, uh, a, a person is actually looking for a solution and they find you, Statistically today, they're probably 60 to 70% down the buying funnel where they've done their research before they pick up the phone and contact you. And if you think about it this way, if you were, you know, regardless of what you were buying, whether you were buying another phone, whether you were buying a washing machine, you're buying a car, the chances are you're probably going to go online, you're going to, you're going to search for what's out there, you're going to you know, do your research and then phone a vendor. And it's no different in our world. So... It always comes down to how well you can position yourself and educate your potential market as to who you are, what you do, why they should buy from you, and why they should buy from you now. And so marketing's job is to basically uh, is to educate and nurture somebody until the point is that they either raise their hands and come to you. But that's only the tip of the iceberg. That's only the people who are actively looking. And that might be whatever it is, 3%, 5% of your market. But there's a whole bunch under the surface who are not actively looking, whereas if you identified them and said, hey, listen, I know that this particular type of organization is likely to have these three or four problems. Pick up the phone, send an email saying, hey, listen, um, you know, when I work with organizations like yours, um, I typically see one of these three or four problems. If any of those are in your radar, is it worthwhile having a conversation? It's as short as that. Mm-hmm. Okay? It requires you that understanding that customer, right? <laughs> That's a preface here. We need to actually understand our customers before we... You <laughs> have to understand yes. your customer. This is not about doing... This is not about picking up the, the white pages and, you know, just dialing and hoping like hell that something's going to happen. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> no. Okay? Everybody's busy. So if you're going to ring me and, mm-hmm. you, and you, you want to know that I am likely to have these particular issues mm-hmm. or trigger something in me that says, ah, okay, um, uh, that's something worth thinking about. That's something that I hadn't thought about mm-hmm. and that's something that could help me. Mm. Yeah, I think understanding our customers and getting in their minds comes with the experience and working with them customers along the journey but yeah there are generally two three four problems that they have in your space um if you can figure out what they are it does make a big difference in a conversation and how you address them um, and how you look to solve those is probably then how you frame your product and offering and your marketing so it all driven back to the problems that they have now one of the, one of the things that we really stress is that you need to talk to your customers mm-hmm. And you need to talk to your customers on a regular basis. And you need to find out what it is that you're doing that they find really valuable. Because very often we we find that what you might think is valuable, they don't necessarily think is valuable. Mm -hmm. And what you don't think is valuable, they really think is valuable. And I'll give you an example. So one of our um, clients uh, uh, sells into the CRM space. And his, his market is about 200, 200 companies in Australia. So it's a very narrow market. And he did this exercise uh, 
somewhat reluctantly. He said, oh, look, you know, I don't necessarily want to ring him and find out exactly what it is that, you know, we do well because, you know, all sorts of cans of worms might open up. <laughs> and that's very often that's a common fear. fear thing. Yes, of course. It's a fear thing. Yeah. But he did. And what he found was that his clients actually said, look, one of the things that you do that we really appreciate is that you challenge us. You don't just... Uh, you know, we say, oh, look, listen, we want you to make this modification to the CRM and we want to do this, this and this. You don't just go, okay, yes, relax mm. full, let's do this. Uh, I, you know, we actually challenge us as to why we're doing this and maybe this is a better way. And we really appreciate that. Now, he didn't think that was important until he asked. There you go. Mm. Okay, so, uh, and I get that um, from customers. They, they have concepts, ideas, but they generally want feedback they want support and even understanding from a business perspective not just from a technology perspective you're dealing from a tech um, as you mentioned just build it and just, just help them and say yes but effectively it's been made from a business decision so we need to understand why they're making and what problem we're solving and then like you said there could be a different way well this is the mm. other thing we you know a lot of our clients deal mm-hmm. when they come to us they they deal with technology and therefore, they try and sell into the IT department, the CTO. And I'm going, hang on, mm. this is not a technology problem. Mm-hmm. The business buys something because the business has a particular problem to solve. And you need to elevate this out from a technical level into a strategic yes. level. What is the business strategy that this thing is going to solve? Mm-hmm. And you need to also have the wherewithal to be able to talk to the business in, in the business, in language that the business actually relates to. Mm-hmm. So you've got to be able to take your technical concept and, and be, being, being technical and, you know, I'm an engineer by background. So, you know, we tend to get very technical and we talk about the technical stuff and we vomit all over our clients <laughs> with all of that. Yep. But, the, but the business doesn't care about that. The business cares about a particular business problem and how you're going to solve this and the technology needs to just work. Yeah, the technology is a tool, is all you're saying. You're selling the a solution, is a tool. not That's technology. But technologists love to sell technology. That's what they know. That's how they speak. That's what they know. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And that's a huge mm. mistake to make. Yeah. In, in, we really want to distill it down to what are the key problems, like you said, we're solving, but from a business perspective. Um, and it isn't that easy coming from a technical background because you seem to find technical problems that you're solving too as a technologist. There's something to be aware of. We have conversations with many people and, yeah, they generally find technical problems and then build products to solve technical problems in a business, not from a strategy as to how that's going to support the business, what we're actually solving that a business can't solve right now and what this tool is actually filling a gap in. I think that's probably some things that people need to think about when they're selling tools. And, the, and like you said, selling to the CTO is probably the – on on ninety five percent of cases, it might be the last person to go. Yeah, they should giving you the tick of approval from yes, tech technology is sound to solve the problem that we're looking to solve within the business unit, not from just this technology is sound. Let's take it on because it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. But by the same token, you've still got to involve the CTO and all of those sorts of people relatively early in the process because otherwise, you're going to get their noses out of joint. Uh, yeah, because you're walking over <laughs> their backyard. Yeah. Yes. Yes, if you're in their okay. backyard, because they're the ones that are meant to be bringing these solutions to the business. Um, so yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, or or they will uh, effectively go slow, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to implementation. Yes. Mm-hmm. Etc. And the and the other thing that you know, especially in a multi-stakeholder um, sale, you've got to understand that you've got to involve the users as well. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I, I'll give you an example out of my corporate career where uh, a major SAP deal, uh, they'd been working on this thing for two years as in implementing SAP. And they had 100 people, you know, hived off in this office. They spent a huge amount of money mm -hmm. and decided that they were going to cut this thing over uh, from, from uh, you know, test to live production overnight, over a weekend. And Monday like came along. <laughs> nobody, nobody in those two years, believe it or not, had huh. talked to any of the users that processed orders. Oh, you're kidding! Oh, wow. <laughs> so that was the that recipe for well. a successful turnover. That was that was a recipe for very successful yeah. implementation. So mm. Monday came along. Uh, this very large organization couldn't couldn't actually process an order end to end, and the users just went, "That's it. We're not using this thing." And two years worth of work. Yes. Went down the drain. In the <laughs> Say that many a time, I think, yeah. Uh, any solution, we have to engage users. That's step one. Um, but I think, yeah, when you're selling product in, users are pivotal. We want to understand how they're currently operating, um, what their current challenges are, because your technology, if you're putting it in, will probably create more challenges for them, more heartache, more learning. So we have to guide them on that process too and understand them. So that's, they're and the also, people that use it, not the managers. Mm -hmm. The managers are sometimes that's a right. couple steps removed yeah. from either the problem or the people. That's right. And you could also have uh, a bunch of uh, users that are there, but the technology could threaten them in some way. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to use it. Or if it's, uh, for argument's sake, a unionized shop, the union might say, hey, listen, this is not something that we want to do for whatever reason. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, so multi-stakeholders, it's a, a relationship thing, but it's also understanding what are the key things? Understanding their problems, their needs, their wants, their desires across each of the stakeholders. What else might you do there? You need to understand the particular personality types, what's, mm -hmm. what's motivating them. Mm -hmm. uh, and and the, other, the other thing that you need to be very cognizant of is you need to explain your value proposition to each person. And each person has to buy into that value proposition for him or herself. And you cannot make the mistake of thinking just because you've dealt with the organization in the past mm. that they're going to buy the next thing. So I'll give you an example. So a client of ours, and this is not in the technology space, but they, they do refurbishment of major hospitals. And uh, <clears throat> they had done four different jobs, multi-million dollar jobs for this organization over a number of years. And they knew the major players. Mm -hmm. And a tender came up for another location. And so they, they put the tender in and I said, okay, so who is on the decision-making panel? They said, ah, oh, you know, three of the people we've worked with over the years and they know us really well, but there's one person over here. He happens to be the local accountant and we don't know anything about him. And I said, well, you'd better make sure that A, you find out exactly what's on this person's agenda, and B, you need to go through your tender line by line and explain the value in great detail in terms that this person will understand and relate to. They didn't do it, and they lost the tender. That was $5 million tender deal that they lost, even though they had done a number of jobs for this organization before. So it really highlights the point that you have to make sure that you need to know everybody mm -hmm. on the decision-making panel and what their agendas are. And then you need to go through and explain in great detail 
in terms that they relate to, not terms that you relate to, because you know it's like your your perception of value may not be their perception of value. You have to figure out what is valuable to them out of all of these things that you do. Which are the things that trigger them, and why? And then the question is uh, the question then is okay. So you know you you ask the question, what's important about that particular thing? And they say, okay, this. And you say, okay, but that's really interesting. So tell me, what's important about that? Because you're really looking for a second and third order mm-hmm. thing. It's not the first answer. Mm-hmm. And what you're looking for ultimately is some form of emotional bind. Because we all, regardless of who we are and what we're buying, buy an emotion and justify with logic. So we make an emotional decision of some kind, and then we justify it with logic, either to ourselves, oh, you know, I justified this purchase, you know, this, these were all logical reasons I convinced myself, or I have to justify, you know, a spouse, or I have to justify another person in the organization, or even my shareholders. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to understand that you have to give people both the logical and the emotional reasons to buy something. In terms of, um, there's obviously different people and people make decisions differently. How does it affect and how do we maybe pick up the way people uh, think and make decisions? Because, yeah, I think um, having the same sales pitch to to everybody doesn't really cut it. So you mentioned it trying to understand what is important to them. But how might you frame something to someone that thinks more logically or someone that thinks more emotionally? How do we pick that up in a conversation? Okay. One, one, one way is say, okay, have you ever bought this sort of thing in the past? Mm-hmm. Whatever it is. Okay. Mm. How did they do it? What were the steps they went through? Now, they, they will tell you, depending on their language, they will tell mm-hmm. you things like, they will either give you some sort of you know, procedure. You know, mm-hmm. I started here and I went here and I went here and I went here and mm-hmm. I went here, A to Z. And mm-hmm. you know, oh, okay, so they're, very, they're really procedural and I need to know what this procedure is likely to be. Okay. Or they might be say they might say something like, uh, "Oh, look! I looked at this person, and I looked at this, 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 and I had all these different options, but I still came back to the first one." <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. So some people are driven more by options. Some people are driven more by procedures. Some people mm-hmm. are driven more by emotion, and then they justify mm-hmm. it with logic. Some people want more logic, but there will still be an emotional component. But the best way to find out is to just have a conversation and say, "Well, mm-hmm. you know." What's the process here? What did you, how did you make this decision in the past? Mm. And people will tell you. And then you need to be listening. You need to listen well. <laughs> listen well. And, and, you know, in our world, it's two ears and one mouth. Use them in that order. I missed that, sorry. Two ears and one mouth. Two <laughs> ears and one mouth. <laughs> yes. Yes, one mouth. I thought I, thought I said, I thought I heard two years and one, ma- and one month. Okay. How does that relate? But anyway, <laughs> no, I wasn't listening well enough. <laughs> The other thing that we always say to people is, okay, when you're, when you're walking into a, uh, a meeting with somebody, uh, the number of times I've had to uh, stop people taking, taking their laptop, taking their presentation, taking their whatever, okay? Because the first thing, what do most people do, especially in the technical area? They, they take out their laptop, they open it up, and they say, let me show you my PowerPoint slides. Mm. You know, I sat through one of these things a little while ago. You know, this guy, the guy said, I have 100 slides. And I'm going, you're joking, right? <laughs> it's a long conversation. It's a long conversation. <laughs> right. And, and then, they, then they proceed to go through all of them from A to Z. You, you, you can't deviate, okay? Mm. So my thing is, you've got to be the naked salesperson. You walk in there with absolutely nothing except a notebook. And in our case, we have a recorder. So we record the meetings. And I say to people, 
you know, we record the meeting. That means that I can give you my full attention. And it also means that I can capture everything that's being said. Not one person in 20 years has ever objected. You know, people say yeah. to me, oh, you know, you can't record the meeting. Well, sorry, I record the meeting. <laughs> okay. So you don't take notes. Well, you said you have a notebook. I take clarify. notes yeah, okay. just, just to clarify things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mm-hmm. will take notes, but mm-hmm. I really want that recording so that mm-hmm. I can go back mm-hmm. and listen for nuances. Yes. Okay. It's not Get that it. I always listen to it, but I want that backup. Have, have the backup there just in case. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing what um, the world of a bit of a backup. So we started recording quite a bit on Teams and just being able to re- go through things, especially when you're workshopping and consulting, just finding those, like you said, little nuances is really important. The little things that you may have not paid attention to at the time because uh, there's a lot going on in a conversation. So, yeah, it, it does help quite well, a sometimes bit. Sometimes it's not reflect. clear if a decision's actually been made in the meeting as well. It's true. It's yeah. the, the language that gets used sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I find that you've got a little uh, little recording you've been carrying around for, for quite a while then. <laughs> different, different iterations yes. of it, but yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the um, the things that always intrigued me is is the type of personality types that could, should, might be salespeople. Um, I find that everyone can have a different tactic. Um, everyone can do sales well in their own right. Is there a particular type of person that you find that is better attuned to the role or can you have different variances on the role because being different personalities isn't a bad thing sometimes? No. Okay. So there is there – is, uh a theory where salespeople are born, not made. And I'll I'll give you a little bit of context to that. There's a guy called Derek Gatehouse. And he wrote a really interesting book on, on this subject. And he'd worked with some 30,000 different salespeople, uh, sales teams around the world. And he'd come to the conclusion that there were certain innate characteristics that we have. And those characteristics, characteristics fit, fit us for different types of sales roles. And so there are people who are very good at, say, opening conversations, but they couldn't close a deal to save their lives because (laughs) they simply cannot get the person to say, okay, you know, this is what we need to do next. They're they're very much the pleaser, not the advisor. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are people who um, can talk to, say, people on the shop floor, for example, but they, Mm -hmm. they can't relate to somebody at a higher social standing in their eyes, okay? Mm-hmm. So if you were dealing with, uh, you know, CEOs of larger organizations, you need to have somebody who is innately comfortable having those sorts of conversations at that sort of level. And not everybody can. Now, some mm-hmm. people can have a conversation at that level and also relate to some people on the shop floor. Mm-hmm. Other people can only relate the bottom or the top. So you really need to know who you are targeting and have a mm-hmm. person that fits that particular mold. Okay. Okay. There mm-hmm. are other people who can create a need. Mm-hmm. Say, that's a good, that's a good uh, skill. It's a good skill. <laughs> Creating needs. And there are people yes. who can only deal with an established need. Okay, so mm-hmm. I know that you've got this particular problem or you've told me you've got this particular problem and uh, mm-hmm. uh, I can solve it. Then there are other people who can sell a concept mm-hmm. versus something that is really obvious. So selling mm-hmm. cars or a house is obvious. Mm-hmm. Selling performance. Perform- performance improvement is a concept. 
Yep. Correct. Okay. Yeah, there's no guarantees of that, right? <laughs> no, there are no guarantees, yes. okay? Mm. So I'll give you a couple of examples. So one of the clients we work with, uh, uh, they've got a young sales guy who, and, and they, they're moving into a new environment. So they, they used to sell into tier one. Now they've been told that they need to sell into, into the mid-space mid technology company. And the young guy is very good at starting a conversation and he's really personable, mm. but he's a pleaser. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the conversations just don't go anywhere beyond, hey, look, you know, you've got some problems. Let's have a conversation about it and let's have another conversation about it and then let's have another mm -hmm. conversation about it. We're talking okay. a lot. <laughs> talking a lot. Okay. Yes. Yep. And I said to the owners of the organization, he's good at that role, but he needs to hand over to one of you. Mm. As soon as he determines that there is a form of interest and there is, there's something there, he needs to hand over to somebody who is good at advising and saying, okay, these are the things that you need to do. Uh, and eventually, you know, let's shake hands and close the deal. Okay. Get up. There was another example where we worked with a pharmaceutical company where uh, uh, they had all of these reps who would basically phone up pharmacies every day and say, what do you want to order today? What do you want to order today? What do you want to order today? Bang, done, 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 done. Okay. But they had a particular rep who would phone up and she would, with the frontline staff, have a 40-minute conversation. You know, how's the weather, this, that, and the other. <laughs> well, <laughs> so not many she, orders going through her. <laughs> no orders going through. So yes. she was about to get fired. And I said, but hang on, hang on. You have two or three people who are responsible for opening up new accounts. They are the people who have to phone and, and make contact with the pharmacy owner, build that level of rapport, open the account, then hand it over to one of these people who just phone up every day. Okay? Mm -hmm. So by understanding her preference of pleaser versus advisor, she's a pleaser, mm -hmm. we got her to open accounts and within two to three months she became one of their top performers. So it's not that you know, sometimes it's just role. a case of putting the right person in the right role rather mm -hmm. than saying, okay, I'm going to shoehorn this person into this thing. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense because everyone's different personality. With our team and too. There's mm. certain people that are more tailored to a certain role. Mm. You can't push them into a different one. It doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. And that's part of what we do. When we work with clients, we say, okay, well, you know, assuming that e even if it's just the business owner, are they the right person for that particular role? Uh, and if you've got a sales team, one of the the number of times we've seen uh, salespeople come on board, they don't work, they, you know, a year goes by, they haven't sold anything, you get the next one, the same thing happens, the next one, same thing happens, and you're going, well, why is this happening? It's usually because it's the wrong person in the wrong role. Mm. Or we've taken somebody who's really good at selling enterprise stuff and we've tried to get them to sell something that's fast action. That's yeah, a completely really different quick. Yeah, model. Yeah. It's a very yeah. different sale. Mm, okay. So anyone listening, um, and I, I think I can speak for most businesses that are always looking to improve their, their sales in their business, uh, what's a place that they might want to start? Is it process? Is it people? Is it problems they're solving? Is it marketing? Where do we generally start if you start a conversation around improving sales within a business? Well, the first thing I would look at is do the are the right people in the right roles. That that would be the, probably one of the the fundamentals, yeah. because square pegs round holes, and it's relatively easy yes. to do. You just look at their results and you say, okay, well, who are they targeting and what are they doing and what are they saying, mm -hmm. and then is the 
is the sales message, are you articulating the value? Do you even understand the value that you provide? Mm -hmm. It's one of the, if you don't understand it, how are you going to explain it to anybody else? How are you going to explain it to anybody else? And sometimes it's, it's, it's really ironic because it's the irony of expertise. You know, we, we are all good at, very good at what we do, but it's very hard for us to explain it to somebody else. Mm. So we've got a, a client at the moment that they do, uh, uh, they've been around 12 years and they're very, very, very good at what they do. And yet they did not recognize the value of what they did until we sat down with them. Mm. And we went through all of these things and then I even rang some of their clients. Uh-huh. And their clients, you know, one of, the, one of their clients who... Um, uh, major government department said, listen, I would hire them personally out of my own money. They're that good. That's a great recommendation. <laughs> it's a great recommendation. And, and that just enables the person to say, okay, well, this is some real value here. That, mm. But now I, I intrinsically know my own value because the first sale is always to myself. Mm-hmm. Now I have to be able to articulate that value in terms that a client would understand. You said it, you don't know the head there. First sale is always to yourself. If you can't see yourself on the services or the products that you're selling and they don't, you don't see your perceived value, you can't sell anybody. Um, no. If you're not convinced, you don't have the confidence to say that this is going to help anybody, then, um, yeah, you're pretty much barking up the wrong tree. Oh, yeah, so, con yeah. artist. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. That's the thing. You believe the bottom of your heart that it's going to serve me, <laughs> not them, but that's a different conversation. Uh, but you still have to have some confidence in something. Um, yeah, so it's very important. Confidence in what you're doing, what you're selling, I think is probably number one, especially from where I see it from a selling proposition. Yeah. So when we, when we work with an organization, we say there are basically three pillars to growth. Yes. You, you've got to have sales. Sales is number one. Mm. But to get sales, you also have to be able to prospect. Mm-hmm. Because you've got to be able to reach out to the target market. You've got to be able to identify the target market. You've got to figure out what that target market is looking for. Mm-hmm. And you've got to be able to underpin that with your marketing system. And your marketing system basically nurtures your potential client and then nudges them along so that when they're ready to buy, they actually contact you. And this is, this is something else that we, you know, mo- most people don't realize how many touches it can take to, to bring somebody on board and how long it could possibly take. Um, most people give up after the first or second touch. Yeah. Not interested. <laughs> I've, I've had clients that we've communicated with for over five years before they came clients. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's just sometimes it takes a long time. Um, and that's not communicating every week. It's just a, a touching every once in a while, just being present, putting my newsletter. Just reminding them you exist. Pieces. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, well I, I think our record was tw- uh, 10 years. Somebody yeah, had been on our list. They'd, they'd been yeah. to something. They'd been to a, a uh-huh. seminar that we'd run. They'd been on mm-hmm. our list. We communicated with them once every week. Mm-hmm. You know, just normal newsletter. Ten yes. years later, they rang up and they said, hey, listen, we mm-hmm. want to do something. We're ready. Now they're okay? ready. Now yes. they're ready. I've yeah. other, have other, I had other people who have been on our list for two years mm-hmm. uh, suddenly ring up and say, hey, listen, you know, we've got a problem with the sales team. You know, mm-hmm. can you help us? We've seen all of your stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. But it doesn't take two years. We had somebody off LinkedIn. Mm. He watched a couple of videos and he said, oh, look, really vibe with the videos. Can you help mm-hmm. us? There mm-hmm. you go. It's so it's timing. a gamut. 
Yeah, it's yeah. all about timing. It's about, are they ready? And it's are they the three to five percent? And they're not. Not everyone's ready to say. Not everybody is ready. And that's right now. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the other thing that we really stress with people is that there's the ninety day rule. And the 90-day rule says that on day 91, people, if somebody comes along with a product or service that the potential client could be interested in, mm-hmm. even though you provide that, they will forget that you provide it and go with the other person. Okay. <laughs> it's, uh, say, yeah, I've seen that before in my yep. experience. Yes, because if you disappear, um, you're easily forgettable. Everyone's very busy. Everyone's doing their own thing um, and in their own in their own mind. And when the problem actually comes up, if someone's there to solve that problem um, and reaches out at that right point in time, you'll have that conversation with them. Um, well, I've exactly. I've things like that myself. Yes, it's very interesting. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and we've seen that time and time again. And I think mm. uh, just, just recently we were talking to a client and uh, they said, oh, uh, they hadn't contacted. They'd done a number of jobs for yes. a particular organization. They hadn't contacted them for, you know, mm. three or four years because jobs would only come up every three years or four years. Yes. And uh, one day they they happened to uh, see a work anniversary on LinkedIn, sent the guy a message, and he said, oh, oh, thank you for the uh, congratulations. Oh, by the way, we've got this tender out and your name isn't even on it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And you know, please put you know put, put in your a name bid on it. now. Yeah, okay, and, and yeah. they won. They won they the tender won. <laughs> just because of that reach out. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy, isn't it? Um, you hear that these stories that happen quite a bit. It's happened with myself too. You get people that used to work in one business moved on, and then just send a LinkedIn reach out, similar type of thing, and then oh, we've got something actually. Uh, so it's quite crazy how it can come. It's all about yeah, are they in the three to five percent? And ninety-five percent of them aren't, which <laughs> which is what people need to be mm. clear on. Um, so yeah, ninety-five percent of people that you're communicating to are not ready. Um, yeah. So I think that's a good context to take away, and just saying you need to have a process and procedure in play. And I think yeah. to market to communicate have the right to messages it. and yeah. the right messages, and also mm. realize that okay, so sometimes uh, you know somebody could be in a contract, yes. so mm. they're not going to buy until that contract comes up for renewal. Mm-hmm. But then you yes. need yeah. to know when that contract is going to come up for new, <laughs> renewal, mm-hmm. and therefore mm-hmm. target them at that time. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, there's plenty of good takeaways today, um, Rashid. Anything else you'd like to add before I wrap up? I think it's been a good little takeaway from um, all the things sales and then understanding people in the right roles. I think it's one of the big takeaways from my perspective. Well, I'd say the, the, the biggest thing that people need to realize is what's in it for me, as in what's in it for them, mm-hmm. personally yeah. as well as uh, for the organization, because we all make decisions based on our own personal agenda, whether we admit it or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's better just to be aware of it <laughs> okay on that note um, let's uh, wrap it there Rashid it's been a, a pleasure talking about all things sales and a little bit of marketing uh, <laughs> and how they come together because yes they are two sides of the one coin as you said um, they are very similar very aligned and one, one of the, my other big takeaways from today's chat was and I wrote a note uh, marketing raise awareness and warm somebody up um that's what it's for, and it's still a sales conversation at mass, which is what you mentioned, which um, gave me a bit of context around how we might be marketing. So thanks for sharing. If anyone wants to find out more about you and um, what you do from a consulting perspective, how might they reach out? Okay, they can certainly reach me at uh, our website, revealedresources.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a wealth of uh, free material 
uh, there. So we have uh, uh, documents on 12 strategies to uh, you know, help you market yourself. That's been uh, mm-hmm. one of our mainstays for years. Uh, we've got documents on how to have better sales conversations. Uh, we have uh, hundreds of articles on uh, marketing, sales, strategy, leadership, because leadership is all about helping people make decisions. It's, yeah, <laughs> I would agree with that. It's, it's guiding and insp- sometimes inspiring them to make decisions depending on what you're selling, right, or where you're coming from. So. Um, we'll, in the show notes, we'll share everything out about yourself and also LinkedIn profiles, etc. So, thank you, Rashid, for joining the DevReady podcast. Hope everyone listening got something out of it from a sales perspective. But jump on his website and um, have a bit of a look at some of the content material there. Thanks, Rashid. Thank, thank you. you, Andrew. Thank you, Anthony.